will be preaching here tonight. Please come back and support him at 6 o'clock this evening. Our text today is John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Find your place there in the Word of God. John 12, 27 through 36. You might notice in verse 36, they put a heading in the middle of the verse. I have no idea why. Uh, They put that there, but uh, the verse 36 does go down below that heading. All right, John 12, let us read the text. Um, We'll we'll make an attempt at this sermon. Whether we finish it or not, we will see. Verse 27, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. And he says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father... Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death, by what kind of death, he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Let us pray. Father, at least I know in the first part of this text, there is a clear description of a battle that we are to be engaged in. And I pray today that we would at least recognize that there is a battle and that we would participate in the same way that the Lord Jesus participated. Pray that we would follow our Master. We would look to Christ as our example. And in all humility, that we would learn from Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll take these words, apply them to our hearts, that they would be lived out 
in our very lives. I pray these things today by your Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. The hour has come. The hour is here. You see in the text a couple of times, now, now, now. Something has happened. Right now is the time. It is right at the very precipice. I am about to be nailed to a tree. It's happening. I told you six days or so. Very quickly, it may take us six years to preach the rest of this book, but in all understanding, six days, he's laying his body down on a cross to be nailed there. He knows what's coming. He understands this horrific event that is about to unfold upon his person. He, he is about to be a substitute for you. And in that substitution, the Father of the universe, the Almighty God, is going to unleash unmitigated wrath upon Him as a person unabated. That's what's about to happen. There's a pressure here that is off the rector scale. You can't measure the weight of what Jesus is about to carry. The weight of the sin of humanity, and on combination with the weight of the sin of humanity, the receiving of the full wrath of his Father for that sin. He says, I don't know the, how, how I can make the words bigger. It's magnanimous. It's huge beyond comprehension. It's off the chart in weight. You can't even understand the depth of all that's going on here, that he's standing in your place, taking every ounce of the wrath of God and absorbing it upon himself in order that sin can be paid for. He knows this. He knows what he's facing. He knows that the way of the cross leads home. You can't get there another way. He's facing this in this scene before our very eyes. You can say it in this way. The light of the world goes to the dark hour of the cross and comes out eternally shining. You catch that. The light of the world goes to the dark hour of the cross And he comes out on the other side, eternally shining, eternally bright. The cross, in the sense the sun may be darkened for a moment, but it will shine again. It will shine for all of eternity. But it will not shine if you bypass the cross. That's true for you, and it's true for me. It's impossible to shine in the presence of the glory of God for all of eternity and skip the cross on your journey. We must die to self and live for the glory of Christ. Let's look at this text a bit. Verse 27, Jesus makes this profound statement, Now is my soul troubled. Humanity and deity, truly man, truly God, experiencing everything that we would go through in flesh. And here's his flesh troubled. It's a difficult situation. It's so pressing that it's this troubling of what do I do? Do I do A or do I do B? This battle 
that faces us in humanity. For all of you and for me, these battles on a much smaller scale, we face them all of the time. My flesh wants, the Spirit of God wants. My flesh wants, the Spirit of God wants. My will, the Father's will. This battle raging, you want to see it in a graphic term? You take later in the day and you read Romans 7. I want to do this, but I end up doing that. I desire this, but I fail over here. Oh, but thanks be to God. I'm in this battle, and it's raging within me. And here's Christ, knowing the cross, knowing the propitiation that's coming to be poured out upon him, and and seeing all of that that's coming on that cross. He says, my soul is troubled. I'm stirred up inside. It's a piercing troubling that it keeps you awake at night. It goes to the inner core of who you are. You can't even lay down and sleep because your mind is thinking about nothing but this cross. Thinking about nothing except paying the price for sin. It's like, I can't get my mind away from it. It's consuming me. You've done that with lesser things. We've all done it with lesser things. A rebellious child, a, a bad marriage, all these things. And you're like, oh man, it just eats your mind up and you're troubled. He's troubled about what he's about to go to. Now is my soul troubled. Now, you may have forgotten, so let me take the time to remind you. This word for troubled means to cause inward turmoil. Stir up, disturb, unsettle. Bring into a state of confusion even. Just glance right back, probably on the same page in your Bible, but just glance back. We dealt with this word in John 11, verse 33 and verse 38. Now, for whatever reason, the ESV didn't translate the word the same uh, here as it did there. But in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come out also weeping, the text says, he was deeply moved. You can translate, he was troubled. It's the same Greek word. She was troubled in his spirit, greatly troubled. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again. And I talked to you about this word, and I said that it even comes across as the word indignation. Stir up and make vehement within. And this is the illustration I used back in John 11. I'll use it again. Let's say that there is a hurricane on the Gulf of Mexico. And let's say the hurricane is named indignant. Or for this morning, if you want to name the hurricane, trouble. So trouble is brewing on the Gulf waters of Mexico down there. And so here comes this storm, and it comes across the land. And after it does, you look at the ocean, and what do you see? You see nasty, stinking, ugly water. Because the hurricane took everything from the bottom of the ocean and brought it to the top, and there's debris everywhere scattered along the coast, and it's just not the day to go to the beach. Because all of the filth has been brought up. And I told you in John 11, when this type of trouble stirred upon Jesus, and it brought out everything within him, the only thing that came forth were clear tears. Couldn't bring any impurities out of him because there was no impurity within him. And so only thing that came out was this pure, broken tears. Now we're back with Jesus and the same word, and now we have, it's my hour. And he says, my soul is troubled. So here we are in this battle. This is Jesus. What 
shall I say? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? What are my options in this battle that's raging within me? Listen, look, you, you want relevance. This is what you live through every day on a smaller scale. Here he is. What are my options? Deliverance from the cross, destiny to the cross. That's his only options. There's a fork in the road, and unlike Yogi Berra who says, take it, you've got to take one or the other. You can either go to the cross, or you can run away from the cross. And so here's how we do things in the Christian world. Oh, this must be God's will because it's easier. No, this must be God's will because it makes me happy. Where did you learn that? Oh, it must be God's will because this is what I actually wanted to do and God's worked it out. I don't know where we got that type of thinking. Here Jesus says, this is the worst road, I'll take it. This is the road that will slaughter my flesh and go contrary to everything my flesh would have, I'll take that road. Where is it when Christianity would bow up and say, I know where I must go because this is the way of the most persecution. This is the most difficult, so it must be the narrow road. Well, Jesus here, what shall I say? Here are my two options. Do I pray, Father, save me from this hour? Or you can use the word sozo and you can translate it this way. Father, deliver me from this hour. So Jesus is saying, should I pray a prayer like that? And, oh, Father, take me away from your preordained will. Oh, Father, save me and deliver me from the very plan that you made before the world was created. That's an option. Do I pray that? Or do I pray, but? It's this purpose that I have come. So so do I pray, Father, deliver me from our predestined plan? Or do I pray, you know what? This is why I'm here. It's time to shine. It's it's my hour. If I die, I die, but I'm going forward. Which one do I pray? He prays for the resolve and the strength to walk the narrow road that was determined before eternity began. You say, well, how do you know that's what he prayed? Because I know he got his answer. Because the prayers of a righteous man availeth much, and any time a righteous man prays, his prayers are heard. You say, well, how do you know his prayer was heard? Well, you look at verse 28 in the first, first words, and you see this. Father... Glorify your name. How's that an answer? There is no way that the Father will be glorified if Jesus skips the cross. So I'm not going to pray this. I'm just going to succumb and submit myself to your will, and I'm going to pray that I do what I'm supposed to be doing here in order that all of the world for all of time would give glory to you for your plan of redemption. That's what's happening in our text. Now, if you think about the parallel text, think about this. This right here, what's going on in this battle, this troubling of Jesus internally, what's going on here, you know this is a parallel with the Garden of Gethsemane. You know that. It may not state it that way, but that's exactly what's going on here. Now, you think in the the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, take this cup from me. You can make that equivalent. Father, save me from this hour. Take this cup from me. It's the same type of wording, but even in Mark. Yet, not, learn, church, learn. Yet, 
not what I will. I will to be happy and make myself satisfied in my flesh. Not what I will, but what you will. Jesus taught us that in the garden. Even the second person of the Godhead did not function here like the whole world revolved around him. Do you see it? The second person of the Godhead submits to his Father and says, it's not about me. Remember, 2002, First Baptist Church at Briar, I preached this sermon, it's not about me, and the whole church made t-shirts, it's not about me, and you wore them all over town. It's still true. It's not about you. It doesn't revolve around you, it's not about you, and if you wasn't here, the world would still function. Even Jesus understood that in his humanity. Not my will. Here's what's important to Jesus' life, that his will be done. We need to learn from this every day as I face situations. You go through life every day with marriage, with job, with finances, with material things. Every day. And here's what you're doing. This is what I want. This is what I want. And you know what? Many of us never even really consider, but what does God want? What is God's will? Does God's word speak to my situation? Is there anything in the whole counsel of God's word for my situation today? You see, because I, let's make it up an illustration. I'm working for a boss who's a jerk. And you know what? My will is to get a different job because my boss is a jerk. If you want to know where that's at, it's right down here in Azel. There's a sign. If you want to cut hair, they got long hours and a jerk boss, and you can apply within. It's on the sign. I mean, it's just public information, right? That's what it says on the sign. You want to cut hair, long hours, and a jerk boss. Okay, you got a jerk boss. You say, my flesh wants relief. What's God want? You should submit unto your boss and show him the beauty and the glory of Christ by the way you live and you act towards him. Well, I don't want to do that. It ain't about you. It's not about what you want. He said, man, my neighbor, my neighbors drive me insane. You know what? I think it's God's will for me to move. I think it's God's will to love your neighbor more than yourself. Do we ever counsel with God's word like that? Jesus does. Let's learn. Father, do I say, deliver me, not my will? Hey, what do I do here? Not my will, but your will be done. Look, real, real quickly, turn in your Bibles, Luke, Luke chapter 22. It's the same thing, the Garden of Gethsemane, but let me point it out. We reference it, but maybe it would be good if he set it before our eyes. I want you to see his trouble. I want you to see the depth of the turmoil within Christ at this point. Luke 22, verse 44. I'm not going to read the whole passage because you have the context praying about going to the cross. In verse 44, Luke 22, verse 44, notice how Luke words it. Being in agony. It's a strong word, is it not? Being in agony. This is Christ. Christ in agony. Christ in trouble. Christ in a turmoil within. And he prays. What does he do with all of this agony and turmoil? He prays. Even more earnestly, my will, Father's will. My will, Father's will. This way, the flesh. This way, the spirit. Preordained plan, my plan. I've got to seek this thing out in prayer. I've got to beseech my Father. I've got to get this right. 
And look what he says. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is intensity to the nth degree. And what's he doing? He's not searching for psychological help. He's not taking psychotropic drugs. He's not asking men what their opinions are. He is seeking his father in vehement prayer from the very depths of his being in order that he would accomplish his father's will. When is the last time or have you ever experienced this type of battle between your flesh and your spirit? It's Christianity. You say, well, well, who does stuff like this? I've already told you. Romans 7, I want to do this, but I do that. I desire to do this, but I end up doing that. It's a whole battle, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul knew this battle. Flesh, spirit, my will, his will. Jesus is having this to the degree that he's sweating drops of blood. And he comes out of agony. He comes out of trouble with this. You get glory. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. If my father gets a glory, then it's worth it all. Think about it. You come out the other way and you get the glory. How cheap and insignificant, and how fleeting will it be? And nobody is even going to remember anything about what you did because only the things that are done for the glory of God are going to last. No sooner does Christ pray about escaping a radically difficult situation than he then must face the difficulty of an unswerving adherence to the Father's will. And look, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to give you the sense and the meaning of scriptures to help your soul. Would you, would you at least see here this morning, I mean, if you get nothing else, would you value Christ more? I'm just talking to you about the one that's your Savior. I'm just telling you what he did. I'm just giving the implications here. You have a Savior that did not turn tail and run. You have a Savior that didn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. You have a Savior who took a weight on and didn't cast it off. And he went all the way and did not seek relief. You have a true man. Not a pansy, not a guy with a yellow streak down his back. You have a true man who would stand up under this type of pressure and he would not find a way out from under it. He'd bear the weight of your sin. Look, if, if Jesus was a man like men in this room and men in this world, he'd have never got to the cross. Ever. He'd have found another way. He'd have, he'd have somehow, he'd have made his wife do it. Just keeping it real. Jesus is not like that. Here in this illustration, that his soul is troubled. Do I do this? Do I do that? Succumb to the flesh, obedience to the will of the Father. Two things have met. The horror of death and the death that involved propitiation. Okay, That's one thing. And the other thing is the uncompromising zealousness of his obedience. The horror of the cross and a zealous uncompromising of the Father's will. They've come together and they've met and they've caused this hurricane within. Now, let's say it again and let's say it. Let's say it like the Apostle Paul says it. The Apostle Paul says it this way. If you live according to your flesh... 
then you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. This is the battle. And so if you do one, it's certain death. If you do the other, it's certain life. Paul understood this battle that rages. Look, here's what we're content with in American Christianity. Here's American Christianity for you. You walk an aisle, you say a prayer, you ask Jesus in your heart, you supposedly get baptized, and now you're a Christian, and then you go in neutral for the rest of your life because nothing matters, and you think that, bless God, you're going to end up in heaven someday. And most of us never even understand that there even is a battle. See, some people are in a battle. Some people don't know there is a battle. Some people are just caught up in all of this. They don't even know what's going on, and they've never battled before. Christianity is this battle. If Jesus had to fight this, how do you get a pass? How is it so easy to live the Christian life? How is it so easy, this battle we raise? Are you somehow above your flesh? These things ought to be going on. A repentant lifestyle, a turning away from what is impure, a putting away of those things that I will not behold with my eyes. This battle and fight of separating from the world and walking through the middle of Vanity Fair and causing a hubbub. Because we won't buy what they sell. We won't talk like they talk. And our language gives us away because we have the language of Canaan. Some battles should be going on here for you because this is the battle that we face. Jesus shows a great troubling, and he teaches us that the Father's will must always trump our will. Is this making any sense? Jesus, not me, Jesus is teaching you, and he's teaching me. The Father's will must always trump your will. That's the pattern. Even Jesus submits to that. Now, on a far smaller scale, just at least hear the comparisons. These are the things that we battle with. On a much, our troubling is a lot less. But just for the sake of the point, listen to how we do these things. I cannot come to church Sunday. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I do not feel well. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I I think God wants me to be happy. Take up your cross and follow me. I, I don't like to sing. Sing unto the Lord a new song. I'm no good at prayer. When you pray, Matthew 6, I don't believe in tithing. Will a man rob God? I don't want to memorize a verse. You shall meditate upon his word day and night. I'll hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And I just went King James on you. I don't want to get baptized. Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't like my neighbor. Love your neighbor more than yourself. I don't have a passport for a mission trip. Go into all the world. Tell of his salvation to all nations. These battles and a million more rage in our lives 
all the time. And here's why the churches are weak. is because those battles rage and we just succumb to the flesh and we never seriously consider the authority and the beauty and the glory of the God of holy writ and apply His truth to our situation. Are you getting this? What if Jesus talked like us? Right here, here he is. His soul is troubled. What am I going to do? I don't feel like going to the cross. Hey, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think the Father wants me to be unhappy. And it seems unhappy to be nailed to a tree. I don't think I'll go. I mean, I mean there's a lot of things going on in my life right now. And I don't, I don't think the Father wants me to be distracted. And he knows I can do something else some other day. And on and on it goes. But look here. Just learn from Jesus. Learn this battle. Learn how to submit to the Father. Notice this prayer of agony. This develops out of great troubling. He comes to resolve. Men in the church, it's something that we've lost over the years. I love men of resolve. I love guys like Adoniram Judson to give their life resolved. I'm going to Burma, and I don't care if I ever come back alive. I like resolve. I like people like Spurgeon. He may have died in his 50s, but he was resolved to preach the gospel. Even if the whole thing fell apart, if the whole, temp- the whole church fell down on his head and somebody yells fire and people get trampled to death, he is going to preach the gospel. He's had a resolve. Where is men in our church with resolve? This is what I'm going to do. This is my position. This is what I believe. This is how I lead my family. This is where I'm at. I'm living for the glory of God. That's my resolve. If all the world goes to hell, I'm standing right here. I'm not moving. Where's your resolve? Where's your tenacity? Where's your boldness? Where's your backbone to stand on the great truths of God? Jesus says, I must obey the Father. That's my resolve. I must obey the Father. After all, Jesus says, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. My whole purpose is to honor Him. How can I shirk the very reason I'm here? You as Christian men, Christian ladies, Christian people, what are we here for? What are we doing here? We've come to a church service to be entertained by Jeff Crago's singing or come be entertained by the preacher. What What are we on earth for? Why do we exist? Why do we have Bible studies? Why do we have prayer meetings? Why do we preach the Word of God for 45 minutes on Sunday mornings? Why are we doing this? Because it's the Father's will that we live our lives for His glory. And in order to live for His glory, my soul needs to be fed and I get my feeding at church in order that I can be equipped to live for his glory out there because out there it seems like the whole world's against me I need help I need strength and so I come and I take in the things of God that I can stand for him tomorrow because it's for his glory Jesus will not be deterred he will not be deceived and he will not be disillusioned what about you where where is your resolve. Now, here's a confirmation in our text. Father, glorify your name. That's verse 28. Then you get a confirmation. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. This is confirmation. Now, because the Lord Jesus had resolved to live and die for the Father's glory, The Father affirms His prayer with certain 
glory. Now, you don't have to worry about time and the amount of text here. Some of you look at this and go, man, that guy ain't even close to verse 36. We're not getting any further. Don't worry about it. I'll let you out. I know we're Americans and we're spoilt, but we'll, we'll quit on time. But look, he gets this answer. His resolution gets confirmation. The Father answers very specifically and clearly. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. That's what's going to happen. He's the sovereign almighty of the universe. He has glorified it, and he will glorify it again. It's going to happen. You say, when did he do this? He glorified it at his baptism. This. Even Jesus submits to baptism. And why on earth did Jesus need to be baptized? Wasn't he a Christian? Was he denouncing his Christianity because he got baptized? Or was he affirming and covering everything that needs to be covered in our life? And he's baptized there, and on that day, there's a great confirmation. This is my beloved son. This one right here, with whom I'm well pleased. The Spirit of God comes down and remains, dwells upon him. So it happened there, and it will. <clears throat> it happened again at the transfiguration and here in this text as well. Now, he will glorify it again in the superlative at his cross. And that's where all of the glory will be received. Now, the servant who does not stoop to his own will, but who performs the will of the one who sent him, even to the death of the cross, is the one that God glorifies. Now, take this in. We talked about this the other day in verse 26. The Father will honor him. This thought that the creator of the universe would honor me? Who is that person who's going to receive that type of honor? Well, it's answered again here, at least in implication from this verse. The servant, back to verse, look back at verse 26. Don't, don't check out on me. Look at 26. If you serve, you must follow. Where I am, there will my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The servant who does not stoop to do his own will. The one that doesn't do his own will, like Jesus here. But who performs the will of the one who sent him, or the will of God. The one who does that, even if you have to go through via the cross, that's the one the Father will glorify, give honor to. This one gave his life for me. Now, the focus of God acting for his own glory which is very much what's going on here. This is all for the glory of God, is it not? This, this is what the main gist of these verses are. This is not new. You know, Ezekiel taught the very same thing. In the Old Testament, it teaches the same thing there. I mean, the, the warp and woof of scriptures is tied together, is it not? And so you go back to Ezekiel, and what do you find? Ezekiel 36, 32. He says, it's not for your sake that I will act. He said, I told you it's not about you. It's not for your sake, God's saying, it's not for your sake that I'm acting and doing what I'm doing. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. He goes on to say, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but what? For the sake of my holy name. 
which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. God tells us through the prophet Ezekiel, I'm doing this redemptive story for my own glory, not for your glory. And those who receive and understand the truth of this say, you know what? It's not about my will. It's not me digressing to do what I want to do. As a Christian, maybe you didn't know all of this. Maybe you're getting this as new information. Christianity wasn't all about you just going from A to B coming in this door where you can go to heaven when you die, that's, that's not all there is to this gospel. What, what included in this gospel is that you would be stripped of yourself, that your flesh would be put to death, and you would come out through that as a man or a woman who is living fully committed to the glory of God. People would be strange. They would ask you, why are you doing A instead of doing B? Because this brings glory to God, and this brings glory to the world. Why why do you not do this? Why do you do that? Why does your life seem to be radically different? It's because I'm living for the glory of God, not for the glory of man. You should learn this from Scripture. As John 11 was clearly about the glory of God, so the cross is specifically about the glory of God's Son. And I will close early. No one experiences the great confirmations of God who does not live by faith. You can't do it. Yeah, I think Jeff's sitting here, Jeff Craig, go go to Honduras. I don't have enough money. I don't have this. I don't have this. I don't have this. He says, but I'm going to go. Step out on faith. You want confirmation? Family member gives him $1,000. The employer says, yeah, you can take off that whole week. His wife says, you better go. You don't get all of that unless you step forward. You step out in faith and say, I just know this will bring glory to God and I'm going. God will provide everything necessary for you to walk this road. Here's what the world's going to tell you. The world's going to tell you it makes no sense to go to another part of the world and preach the gospel. I had a conversation again this morning on the phone. I can't believe you're going to Honduras. It's dangerous down there. Look, it's a narrow road to Honduras. It's a good road. It's a narrow road to Syracuse to go into the lower districts of town and preach the gospel at the Planned Parenthood or down at the bus stop. It's a narrow road. It's a good road to walk down. This is a narrow life here. We choose what we choose, do what we do, not for our will. You must step out in faith. If I stay on this job, you say, this is what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. Well, if I do this, you go, this is what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. It might very well be that if you submitted to the Father's will, the outcome would be radically different than anything you ever taught. Anything that ever went through your mind, you're like, I can't believe God pulled this off. You want to try it? You want to try it? Try it this week. I'm sick and tired of my wife. Not literally. She's not here. I can pick on her. <laughs> Newsflash for you. I'm a preacher, but I mean, marriage is marriage, dude. There's a lot of things going on in marriage I want to do. Right? But what does God want in my marriage? Right? What does God want? 
there's certain things that, you know, I like. And I, in my marriage, look, let's just be honest. In my marriage, I think, I think the marriage revolves around me. I'm just being real. I mean, isn't that why I have a wife where she can take care of me? Are y'all there? I mean, I'm the only one. But I have to come back and say, but what brings glory to the Father? Washing her with the water of the Word? Leading her and loving her as Christ loved the church? Dying to myself in order to give her the type of things that is necessary for her to have? I mean, maybe marriage is a whole lot about me dying. It's a whole lot about loving someone else besides me. What about, you say, well, you don't, you don't understand my family. My kids are messed up. Your kids are messed up because of you. Well, I, I mean, they don't do this, they don't do this. Perhaps it's because you don't discipline them. Well, if I discipline, they won't like me. But parenthood is not about your kids liking you. Parenthood is about a father and a mother leading their children in the ways of God, where when they grow old, they won't depart from it. And you're the spiritual leader of the home, and if you loved your kids, you'd get your belt off your waist, and you'd put it on their backside, and you'd make them understand that when you say no, it means no. Put that in a politically correct society. Use a belt often. You know, I talked to my son this week. He said, That's, I, we would never do that because my butt would hurt so long I couldn't stand it. It's all right to love your children enough to discipline them. Because if you don't discipline them, they're going to turn out like the rest of the world's turning out. Well, I don't like to do that. And, you know, it's, it makes me feel bad to discipline. Get over yourself and look to see what God would have you to do with your family. You could go on and on forever. Do you at least consider in whatever the trouble is internally, do you at least consider, does God say anything about this situation as to how I'm supposed to respond? And then you'd read the text, you'd find the truth, and you'd say, well, it's not about me. See, what I want to do, I'll be really honest with you. I had no desire, zero, to go to Honduras. And I can give you a long list that I wrote down of why I don't want to go. And a lot of reasons. And I can sit here all morning and tell you all these reasons. I do not want to go to Honduras. I'm still not that hip on the idea. But you know what? It's not my, it's not my will. It's not up to me. I had confirmations in other regards that I'm supposed to go. And so... I'm going. I don't always get it right. I'm just saying that we should be battling these things and finding out which way would bring the most glory to our God. When we figure that out, go with that. Let us pray as Brother Jeff comes. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning, and I pray that we can learn from Jesus. Lord, it's not a man or woman in this room who hadn't failed in this area, including this preacher. Lord, we succumb to the flesh often. We need to repent of it. We need to repent of our laziness. We need to repent of our shallowness. We need to repent of our undiscerning abilities. We need to repent of our Americanism. Lord, we need to repent of all of this fleshly stuff we live for. God, help us to die to the flesh. Help us to live for your glory. Help us to live in such a way that your name is revered. Your name is honored. Your name is exalted and upheld. Lord, help us to engage this fight and that we would fight with the motive of your worth. 
You're worth holiness. You're worth godliness. You're worth our very lives. Lord, help us to love you to these degrees with passion and zeal that even if we sweat great drops of blood, we would not succumb to the flesh, but that by your Spirit we'd put to death the deeds of the flesh, Lord, and that we would live in a way that would honor you. Oh, Lord, help us in this endeavor. Help us, I pray, to win this battle. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.